news from the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm a little late, but in my defense, that's because the radio station only expects me to be here at 3 o'clock. We've had two votes. McCarthy's lost a poll. This guy. <laughs> oh, man. I got to be honest with you. It's, um, I think this is entertaining. And I know that there's a lot of people who are doing the embarrassed thing and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, I just, I think if you take a step back and you kind of look at the history of this and what's actually happening, we have gotten so used to the power brokers in Washington, D.C., making all of the decisions, the constituents' opinions be damned, doesn't matter what happens when you elect somebody who promises they're not going to vote for a certain individual for speaker. This happens to the Democrats, too. This is what's so funny. The Democrats that I'm arguing with right now on social media, they are completely oblivious that they wanted a revolt against Pelosi several times now. Pelosi squashed it in the same exact way that McCarthy tried to squash this revolt. The problem is, is that you got some principled conservatives who are saying no. Basically, to quote, paraphrase, I should say, Matt Gates, representative from Florida, either McCarthy steps aside or... He puts himself in a proverbial straitjacket and allows the Freedom Caucus to overrule him on anything. Now, why would Matt Gates say something like that? Because McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, I want to I do something here. I want to pull this up because I think that this is important <clears throat> that people understand what I am talking about here. And I know that a lot of you are not keenly aware, Okay. The conservative review liberty score of Kevin McCarthy is an F rating of 54%. In other words, how conservative is Kevin McCarthy? He's an F. He's 46% Democrat. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like the individual who should be responsible for leading the conservative agenda in the House of Representatives? Somebody who isn't conservative, somebody who is, throughout his entire career, completely unreliable on big policy issues. It's one thing where if you have somebody, this was one of the things with Donnelly. Okay, let's go back and look at Joe Donnelly. Joe Donnelly, Democrat from the area, right? Joe Donnelly would vote with both sides periodically when he was in the House, right? He had a pretty mixed record. However, on the big issues... Joe Donnelly was lockstep Harry Reid stooge. Without fit, not here. Well, that's yes, the other. When he got into the Senate, he was. But you get what I'm saying. On the House side, he was lockstep with the Democrats on those big issues. When he got to the Senate, he was lockstep with Harry Reid on the big issues. And then on some of the smaller stuff, yeah, he would work with Republicans. But he wouldn't do it on anything that was considered meaningful. And Kevin McCarthy is kind of the same way. Kevin McCarthy will go out there and and he will work with Republicans and Democrats on big issues and compromise on those big issues and acquiesce to Democrats. And then he'll be 
in front of the cameras and sternly conservative and yeah, we'll do this and yeah, we'll do that. And it never materializes. You know who else did that? Boehner. Boehner did that his entire career. Mitch McConnell does that. Lindsey Graham does that. John McCain would do that. Why do we, we don't need to play the same game over and over again. This is the reality. Kevin McCarthy thought that he could do what Nancy Pelosi did. He raises a ton of money. He gives a ton of money to his caucus. And therefore, his caucus is going to be loyal to him because of his fundraising capability and because he was the next guy in line. And because he thought he was going to get a massive red wave, he wasn't going to have to worry about Freedom Caucus members who were finally fed up and had enough of this. How many times have we heard over the years the Freedom Caucus was finally going to rebel against the the establishment speaker? And they never did. You had a few people here and there, but you never had an organized revolt. You do now. And it doesn't matter what McCarthy is doing. He made a bunch of concessions earlier today ahead of this vote. Still lost. Still lost. He's made no ground. So, again, it's, you know, for... The Dan Crenshaw's out there now calling his his fellow representatives in his own caucus terrorists and playing it off as, ah, it's just a figure of speech. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. No, Representative Crenshaw, it's not a figure of speech. And you know it's not a figure of speech. Your temper got the best of you again. You mouthed off. You're getting called on it. Do the right thing and apologize for just losing your temper. Because that's what happened. Now, we know now that Dan Crenshaw loses his temper. Dan Crenshaw doesn't like to be challenged on things. He loses his temper when he is. I would expect the SEAL to be more disciplined, but apparently he's not. That's okay. He's allowed to be who he is, but he has a temper, and he lashes out. And he doesn't care who he lashes out at. It pains me to say that because I have tremendous respect for Dan Crenshaw as a human being. And his first term in office was fantastic. This is just its getting ridiculous. Wins re-election, all of a sudden he's a completely different politician. If Dan Crenshaw calling the same people who are referred to as extremists and terrorists by the left, terrorists, is just a figure of speech, then I guess it's okay to call people fascist and Nazi and racist and homophobic and transphobic and sexist and all that other stuff, right, Dan? It's not just a figure of speech. You attack those people. I saw Sean Hannity go after Lauren Boebert yesterday on his show. He attacked her. He attacked her. And she had to remind him, look, I, you know, hey, I love you. Like, why are you? We can have a disagreement, but, you know, I love you. Like, like she's subtly telling him, hey, don't take this too far. You've heard me talk about this in primaries a lot. In primaries, Republicans have a tendency Democrats do it on a lesser extent, but Republicans have a tendency to go too far. And they burn those bridges and they can never get back across the river again. And they're doing that right now. Again, in the simplest terms, and I'm watching Sean Hannity is not getting this. Mark Levin's not getting this. Ben Shapiro's not getting this. A bunch of other political pundits on the conservative side of the aisle are not getting this. And you can't. Here's the thing. If I come on here and I realize that I'm in a local market and some of you are listening to me, you know, via other means outside of this market. But if I come on here every single day and I'm telling you 
I'm a conservative first. Right? I'm a conservative first, not a Republican. I'm a conservative first, not a Republican. The party's less important to me than, than ideology. If I'm doing that to you every single day, and I'm saying that to you every single day, five days a week, best of shows, weekend best ofs, and everything else, and I'm, I'm constantly berating you with, I'm a conservative first, the Republican Party's corrupt, business as usual in Washington, D.C. has to stop, we have to stop the establishment Republican leadership, uh, we, we can't allow them to continue to, to sell the base down the river and constantly concede to Democrats. You can't have a radio or television program where you're doing that every single day of the year and then come on here and go, uh, the guy with an F rating from two-thirds of the conservative scorecard organizations should be the guy that leads the conservative agenda going forward for the next two years. That is a dumb, stupid position to have. Now, that's just my political, ideological opinion on this. Any, any so-called conservative that is saying Kevin McCarthy is the guy, he's the one to lead the conservative movement for the next two years as Speaker of the House because Kevin McCarthy is a great guy, they're not trustworthy. Now, there are some people who are supporting Kevin McCarthy who are not saying that. And from their perspective, this is purely strategy. In that Kevin McCarthy is the guy that has the most votes. He's the guy that received the most votes in their little primary thing. He's the guy that's got the most votes now. Therefore, by default, he should be the guy so we can get to work passing legislation in the House of Representatives and send it over to the Senate to die. That's that's the strategy position. That's where like Ben Shapiro is, okay? Ben Shapiro's like, Kevin McCarthy's the guy because there is nobody else. Now, Ben Shapiro's wrong about there not being anybody else. He's not the only one that's saying it. I'm only using him because I, I had a uh, comment on one of his posts earlier today. But that's the strategy argument. There's an ideological argument. There's a strategy argument. They're two completely separate things, and people are conflating them. And a lot of people are making McCarthy is a solid conservative leader and the guy that we need to lead, the, lead this movement right now. And I'm sorry, but a guy with a 54% F rating from the conservative review Liberty score is not the guy who leads the conservative movement. A guy who has a lifetime score of 53% with a heritage scorecard is not the guy who gets to lead the conservative movement. And a guy with the ACU who has a 74% rating, which is the highest rating that he has of any of the conservative think tanks, is not the guy to lead the conservative movement for the next two years. It's that simple. And like I said before, yesterday and the day before, if we lived in a time where the Democrats had leadership that would work with Republicans and we could come together and we could, you know, hash some stuff out, they give some concessions, we give some concessions, it would make sense to have somebody who's willing to work with the other side in leadership. They don't have that. They adopted the strategy during the Obama era that they were going to oppose everything that Republicans stood for even if Republicans were standing for positions that were traditional Democratic Party positions. That is their official party platform right now. Which is why things that they supported two years ago, they no longer support when Republicans introduce that legislation. You can't have somebody who's willing to give them stuff, but isn't willing to fight to get something in return. And that's McCarthy. That has been McCarthy's entire, what, 14 years or so in office? This is his entire record. His entire record is 
46% Democrat and will just kind of go along to be like, like I said, there's nothing personal against the guy. Everything I've heard about McCarthy, he's a nice dude. I'm sure he is. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have some good ideas. And I'm not saying that he isn't fantastic at raising money. He certainly is. But there are two fundamental arguments that are happening here. One is the ideological one, that he's our spirit guide right now, which is nonsense. Every, everybody in the Republican base knows that Jim Jordan is basically the heart and soul of the Republican Party. Jim Jordan doesn't want the job, though. So you got to find somebody close to Jim Jordan, or at least somewhere in between McCarthy and Jim Jordan. Okay, that's and that's who they're they're nominating now. But the strategic argument is McCarthy's the guy; he's got the most votes. McCarthy doesn't have enough votes, so the strategic argument doesn't even work because McCarthy can't secure the number of votes that everybody else is able to secure. I've actually watched people make the argument: Oh, people tried to rebel against. Uh, uh, Paul Ryan, and they tried to rebel against Boehner, too, and it, it didn't work. And Yeah, but Paul Ryan and Boehner had the votes. McCarthy doesn't have the votes. And if the Republican Party is going to be making the position, making the case that the Democrats keep telling them to make, which is a silly one, in that this is a catastrophe, they can't organize. That's, that's not what this is about. It's not about we can't organize. This is a philosophical disagreement. The Freedom Caucus Republicans that are opposing McCarthy are not opposing McCarthy for frivolous reasons. They're opposing him because he's too moderate. And he's not ideologically aligned with the base of the party. And he's not ideologically aligned with the people that elected them. And the people that they promised they would not vote for McCarthy for when they got to D.C. And they got elected with that mantra. And they're not betraying their constituents. And it's okay if other members of Congress want to betray their constituents. That's fine. But these folks are not. These are almost two dozen representatives. They're not betraying their constituency. They made a promise. They're keeping it. And it's funny how politicians keeping their word seems to anger so many people. But again, what would you, what would you think of me if I came on here every single day and said, I'm a conservative first, I'm a conservative first, the Republican Party, we can't keep doing business as usual in D.C., and uh, party leadership is too moderate and they're swamp dwellers and everything else. And I'm trashing McCarthy 364 days out of the year. And then all of a sudden I come on and tell you that McCarthy is the guy to lead the Republican Party for two years. How, how, how would you react to me if I did that to you? It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Watch on Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Been some funny things that have happened today in regards to this. I'm not going to spend the entire hour on it because... While it is entertaining, um, we will keep <laughs> keep giving you updates. The ninth, the ninth ballot's getting ready to start here. We'll keep giving you updates on it. But uh, there's a lot of other things to discuss as well. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Share the stream with everybody. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson. Studios, from the first step to the final phase. Industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. So will the Chicago Bears be going for the number one, maybe the number two pick? I haven't looked at the latest uh, updates on that. Or will they be going for the number four pick in the draft? It all depends on if they win. 
And they're not playing, I think, most of their starters, which gives the Bears an opportunity, in my opinion, to evaluate players on the roster, put them in a real game situation, actually let them play a real NFL game, not just a preseason game, and see who they want to keep throughout the offseason. And that could, it could, ladies and gentlemen, give you an opportunity to win some money. So all you got to do is just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and start taking a look at the same game parlay player props and a couple of examples like quarterbacks over passing yards, running backs to score a touchdown anytime throughout the game, over or under total points, et cetera. They got a bunch of them. You can even pick same game parlays that are pre-made for you if you don't really have any idea where you want to go with it. And you can do all of that right there in the top-rated FanDuel Sportsbook app. Um, I also personally really like live betting. So maybe you're thinking, oh, the Bears are going to come out and they're going to stink up the field because they got a bunch of non-starters that are playing and then they just start lighting it up because they're trying to win a job. You can hop into the FanDuel app and you'll have updated odds in the middle of the game so you can place a bet in the middle of that game or any other game, by the way, and you'll be able to do that with FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, make sure you sign up with my promo code. That is promo code Casey. For your no sweat, first bet up to $1,000. That is promo code Casey. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. I did look. People asked me yesterday, is FanDuel doing betting odds on the Speaker of the House race? I did not see it in the app. I know that there are places that you could do that, but I didn't see it in the FanDuel app, so I'll send them a message and see. If this goes another day, I'll send them a message, see if we can get that on there. You must be 21 or over and present in Indiana. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you have a gambling problem, please get help. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Got some good news for you uh, folks in Michigan. Debbie Stabenow is not going to run for re-election. She's finito. And I know that that is going to bring great pleasure for those of you on the other side of the border. The Democrat field for U.S. Senate seats in 2024 is showing signs that it will be wide open. Now, keep in mind, 2024 is a terrible year for Democrats in the Senate. It is the year that benefits Republicans greatly. Okay, Um, so it's this last election. The last midterm was an off cycle year, which means it's an election that doesn't benefit Republicans next time. It's an on-cycle year. It will benefit Republicans. Republicans are expected to take the Senate in 2024. Um, It was always going to be a more difficult bet this time around, but the pollsters got a lot of people, myself included, um, you know, a little little hyped up for what could potentially happen, but I tried to temper that a little bit, but it always gets gets hard when you see universal polling on that. But Stabenow, um, basically, she's she said she's not going to run for re-election, and there's a good part of this. She's been rumored to retire for a little while now, but also, you know, it doesn't look good for her. So there's a good chance that she's just trying to to you know bow out without having to face defeat and that sort of thing, since she's at the end of her career anyway. Stabenow is one of several notables not expected to run in 2024. The others being Barbara Boxer, uh, Kirsten Cinema, Tim Kaine, Bernie Sanders, John Tester, and Angus King. Uh, let's see. Stabenow currently serves as chairwoman of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. She announced her retirement plans in a statement on Twitter. Inspired by a new generation of leaders, I have decided to pass the torch in the U.S. Senate. I'm announcing today that I will not seek re-election and will leave the U.S. Senate at the end of my term on January 3rd, 2025. 
Uh, she also added that for the next two years, I'm intensely focused on continuing this important work to improve the lives of Michiganders. This includes leading the passage of the next five-year farm bill, which determines our nation's food and agricultural policies. I'm, I mean, we haven't fully seen, you know, the farm bill and that sort of thing. There's some rumors and whatnot, but I am convinced that the farm bill is probably going to be uh, 40-60 split between actual aid for farmers in the United States and then uh, probably 30% non-farming and then 30% will go to Ukraine. Probably for Ukraine. You know what? Scratch that. The farm bill will probably have more farm aid for Ukraine than it will for American farmers. That's that's my prediction. And for some of you out there who think that's a joke, Ukraine's really important to the global food supply. Extremely important to the global food supply. So don't be surprised if the farm bill has a massive quantity of Ukraine aid in it. Just saying. I'm not telling you that that's going to happen, but don't be surprised if it does. But nonetheless, uh, Michigan folks, I know that you've been wanting Stabenow gone for a long time. Well, she's going away. I don't know who's going to replace her, but that's entirely up to you folks on the other side of the border. I escaped, so I don't have to worry about it. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. Nine on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Well, the ninth round of voting is happening right now. It already doesn't look good for McCarthy. It's really early, very, very early, but still doesn't look great. I do want to give an update on DeMar Hamlin. He's the player for the Buffalo Bills who collapsed on the field. We heard yesterday that he was making improvements, but the update early this afternoon, thank God, this is always the question because he apparently, the rumor was he went without oxygen for nine minutes. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just, you know, there's a lot of rumors flying around this thing. But what we did hear earlier from the actual hospital is that he started to wake up yesterday and that his functions and everything appear to be intact, that he appears to be okay. Uh, so thank God for that as he's, you know, coming out of everything. I think they had him induced in, into, uh, into a coma and that sort of thing too. So it's like, Part of this was not just from the injury. Part of it was let his body recover, and, and we'll, we'll keep him out until that happens. But he has started to wake up last night. He's been waking up throughout the day. And it does appear that, that he is okay. Um, you know, obviously, it's still early. He hasn't fully awakened. They haven't done the full assessments on that. Do you have more on that? What happened? Uh, yeah, I was just reading how, uh, according to doctors who are taking care of him, they say that he is able to move his, uh, his arms and his legs, He's not able to speak, but he was able to write uh, and communicate through writing, and he actually asked if the Bills won the game on Monday night, obviously not realizing that they had suspended play. Yeah. I wonder if they explained it to him or if they were just like, we'll talk about that later <laughs> because, you know, the fact that it was suspended and rescheduled and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's and that was the thing that we had because there was this, this rumor for a while there that he went without oxygen for like nine minutes you know they had to resuscitate him at least twice his heart stopped at least twice and there was real fear that there was brain damage and so when they made the announcement earlier today that that DeMar Hamlin was waking up and that everything appeared to be okay that he could think and and all of that that um, that was a real relief for a lot of people so you know thank God that that's happening and we wish him and his family all the best you know I wish that we would be able to have an honest discussion about what may have happened, because even if it isn't 
you know, related anything, you know, dealing with COVID or vaccines or anything like that. You know, it's still something that should probably be discussed. What happened and is that something the NFL can help prevent in the future, even though it's only happened really one time? I get that. Um, but anytime something happens like this, you need to evaluate it just to try and protect people from it happening again, whatever the cause was. But you're just not allowed to have that discussion without everybody just you know jumping down everybody's throats because they all have their confirmation biases and everything else. The other story that I'm watching is the Idaho murder story. And I haven't really given you a lot of the updates. And everybody else is talking about it. And, and I didn't give you a ton of the updates. I've kind of focused on the speaker thing. Um, but basically, this guy left a knife sheath. He left a leather knife sheath at the, at the house where the victims were murdered. And there was a single solitary fragment of DNA on the button of the knife sheath. And then they were able to track down the car. The description that was given of him by the roommate who survived was spot on flawless. I mean, when you when you actually read the description, she described him with exquisite detail. She got his height right. She got his weight right. Um, his hair, his eyebrows, his complexion, the structure of his eyes. I mean, she got everything correct. So, I mean, good for her. I know it's a traumatic thing for her to go through, but the fact that she was able to recall that information, which made it that much easier for them to say, okay, well, he looks exactly like the DNA sample that we have, and he drives the exact same vehicle that we saw speeding away after 4 a.m. the night of the murders or the morning of the murders. So it all seems to really line up. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is... It's an awful case. We've talked about it before. I know that a lot of other people have as well, but we're getting more details about all of that. But, you know, it was very interesting to find out that there was a leather knife sheet that was left there, and a single fragment of DNA was on the button of that sheath. So I'm assuming it was the strap that came around the bolster and kept the knife in the sheath, and that's where the, uh, that's where the DNA was. We don't know what type of DNA or anything like that. The Idaho murder victim surviving female roommate, this is Fox, Heard crying and saw a man wearing a black mask the morning of the massacre before locking herself in her room, according to the uh, unsealed filing. The roommate is identified only as DM in the document. Awoke at 4 a.m. on November 13th by what she believed was the sound of Kaylee Gon. Is it Gon Calves? Is that how you say it? <clears throat> uh, playing with her dog. <clears throat> My apologies. Still had to deal with the throat stuff. A short time later, she heard what she thought. Um, was her roommate saying, there's someone here. DM locked her, locked, looked out of her second floor bedroom, didn't see anybody. The roommate opened her door and she heard crying coming from another room on the same floor and a male voice saying, it's okay, I'm going to help you. A security camera located a nearby prop, at a nearby property just 50 feet from the, the bedroom captured distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud at 4:17 a.m. Um, they also caught the camera as well. So when you go through and, and now that we've got everything kind of, cause there's three levels to the house, uh, you kind of got everything coming out about this thing and it's um, we're starting to be able to piece everything together. Uh, now, one thing that I will say, and this always has to be pointed out, most of this audience being law enforcement friendly, 
you know, you guys, for the most part, know this. The police knew a heck of a lot more about this case than they told anybody, including the victim's families, about. And thank God they didn't tell anybody. And I know that the public has a desire to learn, and we we have that curiosity. We want to know what happened, especially when it's a mystery like this. But thank God they didn't actually tell anybody because the stuff that they withheld directly led to this guy being arrested. And had they told the public about all of this, it would have muddied the search and potentially he could have gotten away. So they withheld a ton of information to the frustration of the victim's families who were very public about how they didn't like how the police were handling this case. But at the end of the day, that was the absolute right decision. Of course, law enforcement right now is going, yep, yep, yep. We keep telling people this. You know, sometimes you just can't, you can't give any kind of a tell on what hand you have. You've got to keep that stuff close to the vest. Otherwise, the entire case can unravel. And while that is obviously frustrating for all of us who are curious and want to know what happened, you know, they're still trying to figure out what happened as well. But, uh, you know, luckily they didn't they didn't divulge that information. And that directly led to this guy being arrested. The evidence right now, he's obviously innocent until proven guilty. The evidence right now against this dude is is pretty it's pretty overwhelming, to be honest with you. So it doesn't it doesn't look good for him, uh, but at least uh, hopefully if he ends up getting convicted and he's the guy, hopefully the families will have at least some peace knowing that the person who did this is now behind bars. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. WTRC FM. Electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. I want to tell you all about the first time I saw boobs in high school. Was it actually high school? I don't know. No, is it high school? Nope. Nope, nope. That was, that'd be junior high. Seventh grade is junior high, right? It'd be junior high. In school. Now, bear in mind, I'm from Las Vegas, so this may not necessarily be all that unordinary. Uh, for the rest of you, seeing yourselves a naked woman while in junior high might be shocking. But I want to tell you about the first time that it actually happened, because even at the time, I've told the story on the show before, but even at the time, I was, I was sitting there in the class, it was sixth or seventh grade, <clears throat> and I think it was seventh, but it might have been sixth. And I still remember to this day, kind of looking around and going, did that just happen? Did we just see boobage in class in a public school? Did that just happen? It did. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because that very incident that I experienced as a wee little lad has now become a big story. True. I know. It's weird. How can something from Casey's childhood end up being a big deal? Well, we were in the middle of our Shakespeare chapter. And, of course, Shakespeare is well known for a lot. Of his stories, and one of those, or plays, whatever you want to call them, um, one of them happened to be Romeo and Juliet, and we watched the movie, you know, the movie from 1968. Uh, what is it, Franco uh, Zeffirelli, I guess is his name, is the guy who, who made the movie, Romeo and Juliet. Now, we're watching the movie, the whole thing's happening, it's unfolding pretty much like, you know, Shakespeare wrote. 
And then all of a sudden, like, we get out, and I'm staring at Juliet's bare chesticles. Okay, teenage boy. Um, she is extremely pretty. This didn't go over well for most of the guys in the room. <laughs> I mean, you know you know what I mean. Didn't go over well. It went over just fine, but you know what I mean. And But I remember, I remember having this moment of clarity while I was there. It's like, did this just happen? And I think I looked at my friend next to me. He's like, dude, did that just happen? Not because I couldn't believe that I was seeing a naked woman while at school, and my teacher is the one who showed it to me. And that it was approved by the school. There's a permission slip and everything else that had to be signed. I didn't understand why there's a permission slip, but, you know, was, there's a permission slip. And, <laughs> and I just I remember looking at him and going, did we just see memories in this classroom? And I, I think there was a moment where the teacher had to pause it and kind of like, okay, everybody's got to be the bigger person here. Now, what I didn't realize while I had um, utilized this image of the very gorgeous Juliet throughout my formative developing teenage years, what I didn't realize at the time was that she was only 15 years old. Did you know that, John? The 1968 Romeo and Juliet that had the nude scene in it, she was 15 years old. So is he. Let me back this up. This is a movie made by Hollywood in 1968 that they played in a junior high school as a supplement to a Shakespeare chapter that we were studying. And they were naked. You saw the back end of him. You saw the front end of her. And they were only 15 years old. Now, teenagers, we didn't care about that. All we knew is that she was pretty. Girls probably liked him. I don't know. Didn't really pay attention to him. (laughs) But as you get older, and I think I talked about this once on the radio show shortly after starting, and somebody had had responded with, dude, she's like 15 years old in that movie. Did you know that? I had no idea. No clue. Well, the two stars of Romeo and Juliet are now suing Paramount. After all this time, they're suing Paramount for child sexual exploitation. Here's the thing. They're right. They're 100% right. They were 15-year-old kids. Why were they naked in a movie? They shouldn't have been naked on set with adults around them. But they were filmed nude. And then that movie was distributed to everybody for everybody to look at two naked teenagers. Now, they actually say that they were they were tricked into getting naked for the camera. They were promised that the finished product of the movie would not have any nudity in it, which, of course, we know is not true because the movie was actually released with the nude scene in it. The nude scene remained in it. Um, I don't know if it's still in it, but it remained in it at least long enough for me at some point, I believe in the 90s, to witness it in a public school classroom. Actors Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whittings, or Whitting, Whiting, have filed a joint lawsuit in the People's Republic of California, where Kevin McCarthy is from, against Paramount, accusing the studio of sexually exploiting them and distributing nude images 
of adolescent children. Now, look, you I suppose you could be the person out there going, why is this the first time that they're doing this? And I don't know that it is. I guess we'll find out. But um, does that matter? It happened. We know it happened. It's not up for debate. We saw it. I saw it with my own eyes as a teenager. The actors who were 15 and 16, respectively, during the filming, claimed to have suffered mental anguish and emotional distress in the more than five decades since the movie's release and are seeking damages believed to be in excess of $500 million. Look, I can imagine being a 15 or a 16-year-old kid particularly her, because you saw his back end, but you saw her front end. And I'm trying to get, with everything that happens now with cell phones and social media and sexting and all of that stuff and the damage that that causes, I want you to imagine being in an era of 1968, you're a 15-year-old girl and your naked body is now all over television. In, In the era of the 60s, that's got to be mortifying. And, you know, I, I don't know how this has shaped either of them for their lives or or anything else. And I, I think it's perfectly, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, why hasn't this happened before? Or um, if it has happened before, there was an attempt made, you know, why didn't it work? I think that's perfectly acceptable. But the one thing that we do know is we know that this happened. This is not something that, you know, you don't have somebody coming out of the woodwork and and lying about a Supreme Court justice nominee. This this is something that we witnessed. Romeo and Juliet features a bedroom scene during which viewers can see Hussey's bare breasts and Whitting's buttocks. Nude images of minors are unlawful and shouldn't be exhibited, the actor's attorney uh, Solomon Gresson said in the interview with Variety magazine. These were very young, naive children in the 60s who had no understanding of what was about to hit them. All of a sudden, they were famous at a level they never expected. And in addition, they were violated in a way that they didn't know how to deal with. I, I'm i surprised a story like this didn't really take off with Me Too. It, that would have been the perfect time to really do something about this. So the Associated Press um, is alleging that the, the lawsuit says there was sexual abuse, sexual harassment, and fraud Uh, Zeffirelli, who died in 2019, initially told the two that they would wear flesh-colored undergarments in the bedroom scene that comes late in the movie and was shot on the final days of filming. But on the morning of the shoot, Zeffirelli told uh, Whiting, or Whitting, again, I'm sorry, I just don't know his name, uh, who played Romeo and Hussey, who played Juliet, that they they would wear only body makeup while still assuring them the camera would be positioned in a way that would not show nudity, according to the suit. Now, again, that that still wouldn't be appropriate because you still have two underage kids naked in front of each other. It still wouldn't be appropriate, even if the rest of the world wasn't going to see it. They're still naked on set with everybody there, and they're still naked in front of each other, which is, of course, wrong. Yet they were filmed in the nude without their knowledge in violation of California and federal laws against indecency and the exploitation of children. Uh, Zeffirelli told them that they must act in the nude or the picture would fail and their careers would be hurt. 
The actors believed that they had no choice but to act in the nude in body makeup as demanded. <clears throat> okay. Um, now, the lawsuit is taking advantage. This could be why it's taken so long. It's taking advantage of a law in California that is known as Assembly Bill 218. This is temporarily setting aside the statute of limitations for child sexual assault accusations. So the law, which was signed in 2019, opened a three-year window for victims and expired at the end of 2022. So because there's a temporary law in the books in California, the statute of limitations against going after people for this type of behavior, again, Me Too movement responsible for this, um, they can now file, and that's exactly what they did. The legislation has opened a door to a number of high-profile lawsuits, including one against Aerosmith rocker Steven Tyler, another against actor-director Warren Beatty. A Romeo and Juliet lawsuit is perplexing because the two stars who are now in their 70s have continued promoting the movie in the decades since its release, including during the TCM Classic Film Festival in 2018. Um, look, here's here, here's what's interesting, though. I, I know that I've seen this, and Variety Magazine linked to an interview in 2018 where Hussey defended the nude scene. So you've got this very weird... It happened... There's no denying it happened. Should have been illegal. It happened because you had yet another Hollywood movie mogul who was a pervert. That's why this happened. But it did happen. But at the same time, the actors have really excused it and promoted it. Uh, there's an interview in Variety magazine in 2018 where Hussey, who played Juliet, nobody my age had done that before, and saying that Zeffirelli shot it tastefully and that it was needed for the film. Okay, now I, I suppose my question for all of you is this. I mean, I, a couple of questions. One, do they deserve the $500 million? Because it did happen. Does it matter? Does it really matter that maybe they're not being truthful in the lawsuit in that this caused, quote, damage to them? Does that matter? Even if they weren't damaged by it, even if they thought it was fun, even if they promoted it and excused it all of these years, they're both senior citizens now. Um, does it really matter if it caused any damage? Because it did happen. That's not up for debate. So do they still deserve the 500 mil? Because they were exploited. Just because they maybe have never felt exploited until it was financially beneficial to them, does that change the fact that they were, in fact, exploited? I, I guess that's the question that I would have for, for all of you. Uh, leave a comment if you're watching on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. If you're on the Discord server, leave those comments now. I mean, do they deserve the money? I mean, they were exploited. It just doesn't seem like they really cared all that much until they were, they were able to get some money out of it. So maybe that's why. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. MNC. Yeah, it's official. McCarthy's lost again. <laughs> uh, it, look, I, I do. I genuinely get joy out of this because here's why. One, this really isn't all that important. Um, and I'm glad that there's actually some political minds besides myself and Dan Bongino 
who are starting to come out and say, this really isn't a big deal. And it's not really not like causing gridlock or affecting our ability to do our jobs. I'm glad that we're getting more lawmakers coming out and saying that even the ones who oppose the opposition to McCarthy. But the reason that I like it is McCarthy's ego. He thought he was going to have a red wave. And therefore, he didn't care what these 19, but the number's grown to over 20 now. He's got 19 votes against him right now. Um, But it's been going back and forth between 19 and 21. He didn't care about them before the November election because he he thought that he didn't need them. He thought he was going to have so many people coming in because he was throwing his money at people that were, you know, vowing to support him for speaker while moving money away from those who vowed not to support him for speaker. And McCarthy sabotaged the midterm election. So the great irony here is that McCarthy felt like he didn't need to work with people who are opposed to him being speaker because he thought that he wouldn't need them. And then in an effort to be secured as speaker, he actually sabotaged his chances of being speaker. And now he doesn't know what to do because he gave all of his promises to his buddies and he's run out of things to negotiate with. He made a bunch of concessions this morning. It's not enough. He was told that it wouldn't be enough, and he's continued to lose. He's just lost the ninth round. It's not officially over, but he's, it's mathematically impossible. So at some point in time, the Republicans that are protecting the establishment here are going to have to say, look, we've got to find another option here. And I'm getting a little sick and tired of just repeating the same old non. They sound like leftists. Well, what's the better option? If not McCarthy, then who? McCarthy has to step aside for anybody to, to be willing to run. Because McCarthy's the guy that controls the purse spring. Uh, the purse, I almost said purse springs, but purse strings. He's the guy that controls that. He's the like one of the biggest fundraisers in all of D.C., The amount of cash this guy's various organizations draw in and dole out to candidates is staggering. I've gone over those numbers before. And guess what? It's it's very difficult to track down some of those contributions. It's not an easy thing to do. But McCarthy funds every Republican that he wants, and he doesn't fund the Republicans that he doesn't want. And it's quite interesting when you see the list. So these Republicans are supporting this guy, even if they're ideologically opposed to him, because of a couple of things. One, they're friends, and, and I can appreciate that. Um, two, they believe that there is a pecking order, and he's the next in line. Okay. I think it's a failed strategy, but I at least understand that. And then, of course, there's a bunch of people who are like, I, if he goes, I'm not going to have a lot of money coming my way, and I need that money for reelection. and this is a guy that's going to get me reelected. And so I want to be in his good graces because— if he raises a ton of money and doesn't come to me, I might be hosed. That's what's going on. There aren't a lot of people defending McCarthy and rooting for McCarthy because McCarthy is the guy to lead the Republican Party in the House of Representatives because that just isn't a position that is that – it's not coherent. I, I, you can't say that. Um, but there are people who believe that he's, you know, he's their friend and they, they trust him. And that's Jim Jordan's one of those guys. Disagree with him on this. 
But McCarthy does not have the votes. And nobody's going to challenge for the speakership until McCarthy steps aside. So if McCarthy steps aside and gives his blessing, then other people will put their name in the hat. And those are the people that could probably win the votes. We already know that Steve Scalise has the votes. At least that's the rumor and has been the rumor for at least three weeks now. Steve Scalise is the one person that I know of has been named as having the votes to win today. So if you are a ideological guy, there's no way that McCarthy should be the leader of the party in the House. If you are a strategy guy, McCarthy should step aside, allow Scalise to to run for speaker, and Scalise likely wins this thing today. That's it. There's no third option here. The third option is we're going to keep doing the same thing and we're going to blame the other people because they won't go along with us. And the other people are just doing what they promised. And McCarthy can't get to 218 votes, though. You know, we just we're going to keep doing this, I guess. This is a guy who's not popular with the base. This is a guy who has terrible ratings from all of the conservative organizations that exist. This is a guy who clearly is not a spiritual or ideological leader in the Republican Party at all. He's a financial guy. That's it. He's a financial guy. You had Newt Gingrich out there finally saying the quiet part out loud, which I've been telling you over the past couple of days. He's like, hey, the people who are opposing McCarthy are jeopardizing their careers here because they may not get any money from this dude when it's election time. It's like exactly what I was saying. And as I have told you the past couple of days, too, and I'll repeat it again for those of you who might be new in the audience today. For these 20 Republicans who are opposing McCarthy consistently, there's, you know, the abstention from Sparts in Indiana, 5th District, uh, who is back again, 21. He lost 21 again. <laughs> McCarthy continues to perform worse. He's not getting better. He's still, he's still worse than when it started. Okay, he had 19 people vote against him in the Republican Party with round one. He's up to 21 people voting against him in every single round now. At some point in time, he, you know, you have to look at this and go, this dude can't pull this off. And you're going to have to set his ego aside, and we're going to have to put somebody else in there. And if you're a strategy guy, that person is Scalise. I'm not saying Scalise is the best person for the job. But if you're a strategy guy, Scalise probably wins this today. So if you're really concerned about the time frame and all of that other stuff, the Ben Shapiro's and Sean Hannity's of the world, um, Steve Scalise is your guy. If you're concerned about ideology, you want to hold out even beyond Scalise for somebody else. But nobody's going to be viable until McCarthy's not in play because nobody can challenge McCarthy's power and fundraising capability. So he can't be on the table. If McCarthy is taken off of the table, then maybe you will start to see people vote for somebody that they believe can lead the party. But so long as he's a candidate, you're never going to have an alternate viable person. But he's not viable either. Both sides have made it crystal clear. One side is saying nobody's viable but McCarthy, and the other side is saying McCarthy isn't viable either, so find somebody else. That's kind of where we're at. But he's lost nine in a row now, and he's performing worse now than he did at the start. MNC News Time is 4.33. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. 
This is Michiana's Brick Studios. From the first step to the final phase, industrial and commercial electrical done right. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to tell you about R&B Car Company. If you're looking to upgrade your vehicle, go to rbcarcompany.com. They've got tons of vehicles, multiple dealerships all over the area. South Bend, uh, Warsaw, and uh, was it, what's the other one? It's uh, Columbia City, I believe it is. So if you go to rbcarcompany.com, you can take a look at the vehicles from all of those dealerships. And here's the thing. If you find a vehicle, but maybe it's in Warsaw and you're near South Bend, that's okay. You can still schedule a test drive for that vehicle. They will bring it down to the dealership nearest you so you can test drive the vehicle. That way, you're going to be able to get the car or the vehicle that you want. You don't have to travel or anything like that. That's just a service that they provide. It's one of the reasons that we bought our last vehicle over at R&B Car Company. I would encourage you to do the same. Go to rbcarcompany.com, and when you go into R&B Car Company, please let them know that I sent you. I'm going to play you some video. Uh, this was, um, I, I got this from the account on Twitter, uh, gays posting their L's, and there's a lot of these accounts that are now starting to pop up where they're, basically taking a very small subset of society who are activists online and when they embarrass themselves they then post them to these accounts it's it's like libs of tiktok but it's a bit different so this is it's at some kind of a rally and they're talking to this guy about performing surgeries gender reassignment surgeries on minor children which factually happens this isn't up for debate this isn't a dispute this is something that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt happens it is absolutely demonstrably true well the average person out there particularly the activists on the other side of this issue don't want to acknowledge this reality and they have been told that nobody is having surgery under the age of 18 and that's just not accurate so this debate happened, and I want you to listen to how this debate started off and then how it ended up at the end. You'll see some, some wonderful, it's almost like circular logic, but not quite. It's just wonderful mental gymnastics that happened here to justify this guy's position. Have a listen to this. They're not doing surgeries on All the studies we have in this. You yes, can't, yes, no, they they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. There is no doctor in the law there's no doctor in the united states who will give you a who will do a irreversible surgery under the age of 18 that's just not true Chloe cole is across the street she had a breast cut off at 15. you want to come talk to her you want to come talk to her was it for cancer or was no, it for gender that's no, not true come talk to her no i've got video from kaiser permanente in oakland california where the doctor is admitting that the youngest patient they've cut the breasts off of is 12 years old it's on video, my friend. Uh, I'm willing to bet you right now that that's an edited video where the doctor was talking about how the person had cancer, breast cancer, and had to cut it, cut it off. All right, so this is a video by Boston Children's Hospital. For top surgery, you are requested, but not required, to have been on gender-affirming hormones for at least a year. Many surgical centers require you to be 18 for top surgeries. We'll see people as young as age 15 if they've been affirmed in their gender for a long period of time. And don't really so what are your thoughts about that? that, that fine to me. Well, you, you said it's not happening, so it is though, right? Okay, so we're gonna acknowledge that? Yeah, I was incorrect about that for sure. 
What else do you think you might be incorrect about? Well, I'm sure plenty of things. I'm you were very confident about that a few minutes ago. Yeah, and uh, you know, like any reasonable person, I can so say whatever. So now, do you believe that they cut off the breast of a 12-year-old at Kaiser Permanente, or do I need to show you that video too? Which, were they on? Were they affirming to their chosen gender for a long time? The way they said they have to be in that video? Well, they don't have to be. They requested. That, that's as long as they have been. No, in fact, you can get these letters of approval for surgery over the phone. There was a Pride Festival in Madison, Wisconsin a few weeks ago. Someone set up a tent with a sandwich board saying trans or non-binary, three letters of recommendation for surgery. So you could just walk up to the tent, get your letter for surgery that you need. Do you think that's the level of safeguarding we need for a lot of these kids who are struggling with other mental health comorbidities? If they want to transition, then yes. Okay, so, so a second ago it wasn't happening. Now you acknowledge that it is happening. Isn't that weird? It went from, oh, that's not happening at all. You're lying. Nah, well, this lady over here had it happen to her when she was 15 years old. You want to come talk to her? No. That's, I always get that response. I've been getting that response my entire career. Look, I can send you the papers that show that what I'm saying is accurate. Would, would you like to hand me your email and I'll send it to you? No, I wouldn't read anything you sent me anyway. I mean, this happens all the time. Social media, and it's like, what's your source for that? Oh, here's my source. Go read it. I'm not going to read anything that you post. Right, John? How many times that happened to you? Right? All the time. It's happening to me right now <laughs> on, on Twitter. So this guy, it wasn't him saying, I don't think that's happening. Why would surgeons perform this stuff on underage kids? He didn't say that. He goes, no, it's not happening. No surgeon will perform these, sur these uh, surgeries under 18 years old. You're lying about this. The video that you have proving it is edited. Um, and that girl over there who claims it happened to her is not telling the truth. She's a liar. And then, of course, you show them a hospital video. And the hospital video proves that they themselves have a policy of performing these surgeries on children. And then he's like, oh, well, I was wrong. Um, and by the way, I'm kudos for admitting he was wrong. But look at the, the position that he was taking before. You're all lying. I'm right. This is a fact. He didn't know that. He didn't have any information to back that up. He didn't have any kind of a law that he could cite to them saying, this law says no doctor can do this. So if a doctor is doing it, they're breaking the law and they should be arrested. He didn't say that. He flat out denied that this very clearly happening thing is not taking place. And then he was proven wrong. And again, to his credit, he did switch. But it's, it's the attitude. I know for a fact that these doctors are not doing this because that's what I want to believe these doctors are not doing. It's confirmation bias, classical tribalism. And then his position pivots from nobody's doing that. It's illegal to, oh, they are doing it. I'll admit that they're doing it. Like, okay, well, you're wrong about that. I mean, could you be wrong about some other things too? And yeah, I think they are doing it, but it's great. So it went from they're not doing it to they are doing it, and it's wonderful that they're doing it. Isn't that amazing? You realize that happened in two minutes and five seconds? This guy's entire worldview. It's not quite circular logic, but somehow he made himself end, end up at the starting point again. So it's kind of, I don't know, oblong logic. We'll call it that. He starts off with, it's not happening. How dare you guys say these lies to, oh, it is happening. Oh, that's great that it's happening. I, I love that it's happening. I love that 12-year-old girls are being chopped up and butchered 
by doctors who are violating their Hippocratic Oath and being permanently disfigured for the rest of their lives. I'm super stoked that that is going on. I should point out that he's a white male and he's not supposed to have an opinion about any of this, but I digress. So two minutes and five seconds is all it took for this guy to completely twist himself into knots. You got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Don't forget, we're live streaming on Rumble. Rumble.com slash Casey the Host. Uh, well on our way to 100,000 subscribers on the Rumble channel. Just have 97,000 people to go. So we're almost there. Need your help getting there in 2023. Uh, that is the goal. How about this? Because I think it, I think getting to 100,000 subscribers on Rumble is a doable goal. If we don't get to 100,000 Rumble subscribers by the end of this year, I will quit radio. There we go. So go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host, 100,000 subscribers by the end of 2023, or I quit. I'm not in the industry anymore. I'm not going to do it. Sorry, John. You have, you have a year's notice. If it doesn't happen, <clears throat> what? You realize how <laughs> this life is not an easy life, okay? We're always on edge. <laughs> We're always on edge. All right. Uh, still waiting to uh, to see. Yep, they're going to go for the 10th vote. They're going to do it. <laughs> He's going to lose again. Uh, I don't know why he keeps doing it to himself, but but he does. All right. Um, I want to talk about Ukraine for just a little bit. I was inspired by the Brian Kilmeade promo. I know, Brian, I love you. Brian's a good dude. We're friends. Everybody knows that. So wrong about Ukraine. Um, <laughs> but we're going to. We're going to talk about this anyway. <clears throat> so Brian Kilmeade promo is talking about how, you know, basically Vladimir Putin is expansionist and yada, yada, yada. Ukraine's good. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, members of Congress raked in profits from defense contractor stocks after voting to send billions of dollars in military aid to Ukraine. Now, this is according to financial disclosures and voting records reviewed by the Daily Caller News Foundation. And I know you're all super shocked by this, by the way. The U.S. has delivered more than $20 billion worth of of military aid to Ukraine between January 24, a month before Russia invaded, and November 20th, according to the data compiled by the Council on Foreign Relations. And Congress has approved billions more in spending on Ukraine. We are sending more money to Ukraine than Russia spends annually in its entire defense budget. So we're clear. To make up for that aid, Top defense companies have boosted production, and lawmakers trading on company stocks saw financial windfall as a result. According to publicly available stocks trading data, overall Democratic Representative Earl Blumenauer of Oregon netted the highest average returns on defense company stocks since 2021. He got a 40% return. Hey, that is not a bad return for investments, 40%. Now, I'm not begrudging anybody. Okay, I'm not begrudging anybody making a profit in stocks or investing in defense contractors or anything else. But I would like to point out that maybe the sheer amount of money that they're making by sending this stuff to Ukraine might motivate their vote on the issue. You know, or their vote. Did I say vote? Vote on the issue. 
Sorry, I needed. I had an extra coffee, and it's not good coffee. I really needed an energy drink, and I didn't have one, so I, I apologize. Um, so anyway, on Tuesday, the uh, the unusual whales website, which is a fantastic website. Uh, I always I always send you to QuiverQuant because QuiverQuant you can track the individual stocks and everything else that uh, members of Congress are investing in. Unusual Whales is a really good source as well. They expose how members profit from trading that is specifically related to legislation. So if you have those two, QuiverQuant and Unusual Whales, you basically get a total financial picture of corruption in Congress. So anyway... <clears throat> Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who has voted against Ukraine aid, was the top Republican at 35.5%. She's voting against it, but she still has investments in those stocks. So she's making herself a hefty little profit as well. While unforeseen demand has left top weapons makers like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies, and Northrop Grumman scrambling to meet production targets, defense stocks are performing well overall. Republican Florida Representative John Rutherford and Blumenauer each bought up to 15 grand in Raytheon stock the day the day Russia invaded. So John Rutherford and Blumenauer, so one Republican, one Democrat, on the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, bought $15,000 in Raytheon stock. <laughs> Rutherford claimed in his disclosure that his advisors erroneously purchased the stock sure and it was sold on march 14th for a three percent gain according to unusual whales yeah i'm sure it was an accident now it happened somebody called him on and he went yo this looks bad better get rid of this but he made a three percent profit that's not bad rutherford is a member of the house appropriations committee and blumenauer voted for a 40 billion dollar supplemental military and humanitarian aid package for ukraine in may uh, former Democratic representative Cin uh, Cindy is it Axney from Iowa, John Axney. Do you know? Do you, don't know that one. He's from Iowa. I figured I'd ask. Uh, sold Lockheed Martin stock for a profit in November after voting in favor not only of the supplemental package in May, but also for the September emergency funding bill that authorized an additional $12 billion in weapons for Ukraine. Lawmakers also voted with the majority of their party on that measure and that the the omnibus spending bill passed in December, which included an additional $45 billion in Ukraine aid. The congressional record shows all of this. And all the Democrats supported the continuing resolution in September, and all but one voted yay on the omnibus bill. Democrat Representative Dwight Evans of Pennsylvania also reported a Raytheon sale. Excuse me, throat stuff still. Also reported a Raytheon sale in November from stock that he purchased from before the war, meaning that he voted for the funding bills while having a stake in a top-selling defense company. Mm -hmm. See, we keep trying to tell you leftists out there, it's not left versus right. It really isn't. Um, ideologically, yeah, I'll battle leftists all day long. But really, it's the political class versus you and me. And... The debate that I was in with people on Twitter today, Democrats were trying to push this six R's thing that was trending, which is if six Republicans would just vote for Jeffries, then we could have this thing done with. It's just dumb, stupid, illogical things to say. You know, if I go out there and I tell you, well, you know, hey, it's, all it takes is for uh, 18 Democrats to go to McCarthy's side and this thing's finished, too. 
And McCarthy is going to be better for Democrats than whoever replaces him. That's for sure. It's just dumb logic. And they are convinced that this is Democrats are. They're convinced that this is an extremist battle that extremists are holding the GOP hostage. And that's obviously not what's going on. This is largely a battle about money and and power. And the fact that your typical power brokers and people who have the money to fund campaigns are able to steer policy. It needs to be broken. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Round number 10, getting ready to start. They're doing their little uh, speechy speeches and all that stuff right now. McCarthy's going to lose again, and we're going to repeat the same process over and over again. And look, I'm, I'm willing to say this, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, too, over the past couple of days. If McCarthy were making movement in the right direction, as in he was getting closer to becoming speaker by gaining more votes every round, then I would say, yeah, McCarthy should probably stay in it and see if he can get those last few votes. But he's not gaining votes. He's losing them. And at some point in time, McCarthy's going to have to sit there and just be like, I I ain't got this. I don't know how else to put this. You know, everybody is repeating the same nonsense over and over again. It's you're constantly getting, you know, uh, political pundits and things like that going, well, if it's not McCarthy, then he's your guy. Well, it's obviously Scalise. He's the only one that we've heard has the votes. And if Scalise doesn't want it, which I don't think is the case, I think that Scalise does want it, but he's not challenging McCarthy. And if if McCarthy steps aside, looks at Scalise and says, in all seriousness, my friend, you can you can have this. Um, that I think that Scalise has the votes today, and we walk away, and it's all finished. I truly believe that. But if Scalise decides that he doesn't want it, and McCarthy has to step aside, then it's on. It's on these, you know, these twenty-one other people to come up with a viable an, an other option. You know, because the people that they're nominating right now are probably not going to get the votes, so they're going to have to come up with something. And I'm sure that they could. Um, but as I was trying to say right before the end of the hour here, you know, this very much is, and it's tied in with that Ukraine vote stuff, and it's tied in with insider trading, and it's tied in with the, you know, the power vacuum and everything else. The, the story that I constantly tell you about the local legislator that I know that went to the Capitol and on his first day, in a small business owner, is a guy struggling to pay his bills, living paycheck to paycheck, but not poor. You know, next thing you know, his first day in office, he's taken to an airport hangar. And he's shown piles of cash and gold and precious metals and cars and and electronics. And he's told, take whatever you want. We just want you to rezone this area. Just vote to rezone this one area. It's all we want. And your entire world can change. He claims he didn't take the deal. But most people would. Most people would look at a pallet of cash and go, holy crap, all of my problems are over. And all I have to do is change the zoning ordinance for this one little area. And they don't think about long term. Yeah, you're in their back pocket now because you've already been bribed. So next time they come back, you can't say no because they'll just expose you for bribing. Or for bribery, I should say. And 
Washington, D.C. has They've almost set up a chain of command. I talked about this in the live stream a little bit earlier. I don't think on the air. They set up a chain of command. Both parties do this. The Democrats who are in the AOC wing of the party, they don't like Pelosi and the Pelosi wing of the party. But the Pelosi wing of the party is squashing their voice. And in the Republican Party, you've got the Freedom Caucus, the conservative base. And they're the ones that actually represent, you would argue, at least half, if not more than half, of the Republican Party's base. And they, they're saying enough is enough. And they finally have the power to do it. After decades of trying, they finally have the power to say enough is enough with the next man up, chain of command, whoever was behind so-and-so is the automatic person you know, going ahead. The person with the most influence and money is the person that gets the position, the person who can kill my campaign or primary me or deny me funds for my reelection bid. That person should not automatically get it because they're a threat to my political career. They've said enough is enough. They're putting, you have to understand something. And I think this is important. 20 of these individuals, in particular 19, but 20 of the 21 are jeopardizing their careers right now. They are saying, we understand that we're going to war with the party's establishment and that the party's establishment will probably seek some form of retribution on us. If we don't win this thing, they'll pull us out of committees. They will deny us re-election funds. They will mess with us with that, you know, uh, fundraising requirement that they have every single week. They're going to do all sorts of things that are going to mess with these 19 or 20 individuals. Congresswoman Sparts is probably safe. She's planning on running for Senate anyway, and she's voting present. She's not taking a side here. Her position is... She wants this to all be resolved behind closed doors and then have a public vote so everybody can hash it out um, and, and just be done with it so that this doesn't continue to be, you know, a circus. That's her position, which I actually think is a reasoned position from somebody who, frankly, is probably going to be out of there pretty soon running for Senate. But this is, this is, for the Democrats out there who are trying to say that this is about extremist ideas, it really isn't. This is about the base of the party in the Republican Party finally having the strength to tell the establishment that is disconnected from the average person that enough is enough and doing business the same you've always, as you've always done business in Washington, D.C. is not going to work anymore. And the Democrats have been trying to do that. The AOC wing of the party has been trying to do that. The Bernie Sanders wing of the party has been trying to do that. They don't have enough support. Pelosi is too strong. So really, if you're if you're one of those Democrats who doesn't like the establishment of the Democratic Party in D.C., honestly, you should be rooting on and taking notes about what's happening here with what Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and others are doing. Because they're giving you a template on how you can change your party the way that you believe your party should be changed as well. This establishment nonsense has got to stop. It has to because they're completely disconnected from the American people. Everybody knows it. Everybody acknowledges it. What's amazing about something like this is when an event like this happens, the Democrats are like, ha, 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 glad it's happened to the Republicans. It's, 
they're literally having the same fight in the Republican Party that you're trying to have in the Democratic Party. You should be rooting them on because they'll get the party that they want. You should be taking notes. You can get the party that you want because the leadership of the national parties is completely out of touch with everybody else. People who have been in D.C. for decades and decades and decades, they're not the people who should be running the parties. They're just not. But it is funny to kind of watch this complete lack of self-awareness when it comes to these discussions and these debates with all of this. Um, you know, McCarthy doesn't have the votes. And I find it interesting that you've got Republicans out there like Dan Crenshaw and others say, well, he's he's got most of the votes. He actually doesn't. Hey, John, who has most of the votes? Jeffries has most of the votes, doesn't he? Yeah, but he's not a Republican. Oh, See, you backed yourself into a corner again. I thought it was about who had the most votes. Oh, no, just the most votes for this party. Oh, well, that's not how the rules are set up. <laughs> okay, the rules are set up very differently. And like I said, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point where, you know, this has happened in the past and the system was kind of set up to where it wouldn't happen again. So the party leadership could solidify their party, uh, their power, I should say and wield their power against the other members of their caucus in order to control the caucus. And like I said, the Freedom Caucus has just said, yeah, enough, enough is enough. You know, the, uh, the swamp dwellers aren't going to control us anymore. And they're taking a stand. And interestingly, it's not every member of the Freedom Caucus who's taking a stand here. It's a, a small portion of the Freedom Caucus who's taking a stand and the rest of the Freedom Caucus, which has been talking a big game for how many years now, they're not taking the stand. And when you start going through the number of recipients of, of McCarthy's fundraising efforts, it's amazing how many names of principled conservatives who are backing McCarthy who get money from McCarthy. There's some people been asking me, Casey, do you think Hannity's getting money from McCarthy too? I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. Um, I don't think so. But like I said, there's a strategy argument and there's an ideological argument. There's two different arguments that are happening right now, and they're being conflated into one. The ideological argument, again, just as a refresher from the past couple of days, the ideological argument is Kevin McCarthy is not the guy that should be running the conservative agenda for the next two years as Speaker of the House. Why? Because Kevin McCarthy has an F rating from two-thirds of the conservative scorecard watchdog groups. He's in the, the low 50th percentile. He is not at all a conservative. He's never been a conservative. He's not trustworthy on conservative issues. You can actually see on these things. When you go and you take a look at his record, you can see where his lifetime score is going to be like 53, 54%. However, his session score for the last session, 88%. The Heritage Scorecard, his lifetime score is 53%, but his score for this last session was 88%. Gee, why might Kevin McCarthy all of a sudden be 88% conservative when his entire career he's been 53% conservative? Why? Why is that? Could it be that he was gearing up for the speakership? 
and he's playing the part, trying to win the midterms, trying to get himself as speaker, and he's basically been, this is my opinion now, Kevin McCarthy was selling everybody a bill of goods for the past year because he wanted you to think that he was going to be a good speaker for conservatives, and he's not. So I go back to what I said earlier. If Kevin McCarthy wins and becomes Speaker of the House, and the 10th vote is getting ready to start, if McCarthy wins and becomes the the Speaker of the House, the Republican Party will regret it. The conservative members of Congress that backed him will regret it. The conservative pundits who backed him will regret it. And they will all be mocked for their endorsement of McCarthy. If McCarthy does not become Speaker of the House, the Democrats who didn't cross the aisle to put McCarthy over the top, they will regret it because they're going to have to deal with somebody who's a lot more conservative, even if it's just Scalise. And Scalise is not the most conservative guy in the world, but he's pretty trustworthy on some of those big issues. The Democrats are going to regret McCarthy not being speaker because whoever replaces McCarthy as speaker is going to be a lot more combative with them than McCarthy would be. So you, you, play, you play this out however you want, but McCarthy doesn't have the votes and he doesn't have the assets to buy the votes. So we're at an impasse. And you can keep complaining all you want. I'm talking to the conservative pundits out there who are failing to see what this is really about and they are throwing their good names in the gutter because they're now basically telling their audience everything that I tell you every single day on my show is a lie. The I'm a conservative first. The the swamp has to be has to be drained. We can't do business as usual in Washington DC. McCarthy sucks. Party leadership has to change and now they're backing McCarthy. I mean, you're soiling your own good names, folks. What are you doing? If you're a strategy guy, and it's not about ideology, you know that McCarthy isn't ideologically on your side, but it's about strategy because nobody else has the votes. The only reason nobody else has the votes is because McCarthy is still in it, and guess what? He doesn't have the votes. If McCarthy steps aside, we do know there is one name that potentially has the votes. So let him take the shot at it. And if he doesn't get it, he doesn't get it. We can revisit that debate. And then maybe at that point, if they can't find somebody, okay, and and I I hesitate to say this because McCarthy could sabotage this strategy. If McCarthy steps aside and other people come forward and nobody else can get the votes, then McCarthy is open to come back and go, nobody else has gotten the votes that I've gotten, so here I am again. Vote for me now. The problem with that strategy, though, is that McCarthy can use his power to influence how people vote for the other candidates, and he can actually sabotage that process to artificially make himself look like the best candidate. So those are a lot of concerns here, but tenth, the 10th round, getting ready to start, where he'll lose again. Got more coming up, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. Going into the weekend, first thing Friday morning on 95.3 MNC. My apologies, folks. I was mistaken right before the last commercial break. McCarthy has already lost the 10th round of voting. 
I guess the way that they're covering it is they're not really showing the nominating speakers anymore, which I understand. Uh, they're getting pretty boring or scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point in time. But um, so McCarthy's lost 10 votes. He's not winning this thing. And I suppose I would have caught that before the last commercial break if I'd had my balance of nature today, but I had not. I've not taken my balance of nature today. And I noticed that it has affected me quite a bit. A um, little, little bit more lethargic than normal. I feel decent, though. I'm you know, on the mend. I'm recovering. But balance of nature has, I think, minimized the effects of my illness. So I've had a cough. But it's mostly like because my throat is irritated. But I haven't felt bad. I'm a little tired, as you expect when you're sick. Everybody around me, though, who got this thing was, like, knocked out. And I, I keep telling you that I believe that it's balance of nature that has been helping me really power through this, this rash of illnesses. And I actually want to address this with uh, something that Steven Crowder posted here a minute ago. Um, I believe that balance of nature and its effect on my immune system has really helped me with that. I, I truly do. And if it's, if it's not okay, I'm still healthier than I was without taking it because I'm getting my full complement of fruits and vegetables every day when I take balance of nature. And if you're a parent who has a picky eater kid, um, you can sneak vegetables into their food by just taking the capsules and just you pull the, the capsule apart and you just, you know, sprinkle the powder into the food, mix it in. The kid won't know anything. Kids getting their vegetables. The kid thinks that they're getting one over on you by you feeding them mac and cheese every night when, in fact, you're just feeding them three courses of vegetables. Go to balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura. That's Laura Smith from Michiana's Morning News promo code. Balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura. L-A-U-R-A, you'll save 35%. Just give it a Give one bottle of each a try. Just get the fruits and veggies pack, try it for the month, and see if you feel as good as everybody else does when they take Balance of Nature. And honestly, I think one of the best things about this is that there's other competing products on the market. You know, you got to mix those things with something, and you got to drink it. So if you don't like the taste of it, you're not going to have that, are you? Take the pills. You don't ever have to worry about it. Balanceofnature.com, promo code Laura, save 35% today. So Stephen Crowder posted um, on Twitter earlier today that never has he and his family ever been this sick. And it's, I was talking about this at my other job today. Everybody's getting something. They recover for a couple of days, and then they get something again. And I know in my house, what seems to happen is everybody else gets sick. I'm fine. And then after everybody recovers, like a week later, I get a little something that doesn't really affect me all that much. Very, very mild. But then they all get really sick from that. And it's just, it's bouncing between everybody. Now, if only there was a radio host whose name rhymed with Casey who could tell you that this was going to happen when you locked everybody down for two years. Um, it, we're all warned that this is going to happen. And it's exactly what was taking place. But I, I thought that his post was interesting because it's happening to everybody. And we were having this discussion at, at work today that, you know, people are, and it's, you can see it in real time, like in the span of a week, Monday and Tuesday, somebody be real sick and have a cough Wednesday. They're like, yeah, I think I'm over it. I feel good. And by Friday, they're sick again. And it's just, it's happening with everybody. And it's not like anybody's getting immune to it. They're just passing it back and forth to each other. It's not COVID, obviously. It's this upper respiratory thing. Um, but we were told that our, our immune systems were going to be shot 
if we locked down for two years and didn't go outside, and that's exactly what's happened. All right, I do want to talk about this amazing story involving a teacher in a MAGA hat. And I have some observations about this that I, I haven't really heard other people say, but um, I really do want to talk about it because this is an important federal appeals ruling and it's a major legal victory for free speech. And we'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of minutes. Also want to direct you to Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Remember, if I don't get 100,000 subscribers by the end of this year, I'm quitting radio. Okay, that's um, that is my my uh, fingers are not crossed promise to all of you. So go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. If you want me to continue doing what I do, you better go subscribe to that Rumble channel or else you only have, uh, you know, 12 months. So make sure you do it now. It's very important. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC, MNC News Time, 531. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. This is Michiana's Breaking News and Weather. Casey Hendrickson. Let me ask you a question. Are you a lady? If you are, there's a good chance that you're addicted unhealthily to pillows. And you have too many of them. If you don't think that you have too many of them, it's probably because you've never asked any man that's around. So ask a man who's around you if you have too many pillows. And ask in a way that he can actually answer that honestly without having his head chewed off. And if you are addicted to pillows, I'm not here to shame you for your horrendously stupid hobby. But I can get you a deal on getting more of them. Why don't you go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Casey, just click on the radio listener specials. So you just scroll down, click on the radio listener specials there, ignore Sean Hannity, he's already a gajillionaire. Just click on radio listener specials and you will see all of those amazing deals. Now you'll see the bed sheets and, and all of that stuff and the slippers and that's all great. But really, I want you to scroll down just a little bit. You'll have the standard my pillows there, right? And then you'll have the 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 Giza Elegance my pillows, which are like the higher end version of my pillows, and they're much better, by the way. But I want you to keep scrolling down. You're going to start to find there's pillows everywhere. You got body pillows in case you don't have somebody sharing your bed with you. But then you go down to the couch pillows, and the couch pillows are where you pillow freakazoids are going to thrive. Because right now at mypillow.com. Radio listener specials, promo code Casey, you can save 50% on couch pillows. Guys, don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to feed my kids. Okay, Guys are out there getting upset. It's like, oh, my gosh, she's going to buy more pillows, Casey. I'm already buried in pillows. What am I going to do? Not my problem, dude. Not my problem. Right now, my interest is feeding my children and getting her half off on pillows at MyPillow.com. So go to MyPillow.com, click on radio listener specials, Promo code Casey at checkout. Scroll down. You will see that couch pillows 50% off right now, ladies. Go get them. All right, let's talk about this teacher. A federal appeals court has ruled that a public school teacher was within his rights to wear a Make America Great Again hat to two faculty training sessions. Now, keep in mind, dude did not do it in the classroom. He did it at a faculty training session, two of them. A three-judge panel in the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled today that science teacher Eric Dodge, can we call him Hellcat? Eric Hellcat Dodge, I mean, he's got a major legal victory here. I feel like we can call the dude Hellcat, okay? Was protected by the First Amendment right of free speech with his choice of headgear. He was a science teacher at Wyeast Middle School in Vancouver, Washington, and he wore the MAGA hat, of course, the red MAGA hat, 
which is commonly associated with uh, Trump supporters. Duh. Thank you, Federalist Papers. Appreciate that. He wore it to a two-day cultural sensitivity training session, which is hysterical. Uh, because anybody who wants to be at a cultural sensitivity training session hates anything Republican. He took off his MAGA cap upon entering the training, but left it visible on his desk, according to Oregon Live. What a terrorist. Dodge said that the principal of the school, of course, a liberal woman, Caroline Garrett, told him that the professor leading the session felt, quote, intimidated and traumatized by his actions. And she asked him to use quote, better judgment. Listen, if you're intimidated and traumatized by a baseball hat, you shouldn't be around kids. Ain't that hard. You should really not leave your house. Dodge said that he was verbally attacked by Garrett and other school employees after bringing the hat to the staff meeting a second time. Uh, He said uh, Garrett called him a racist and a homophobe. Uh Uh-huh. So the lawyers argued that the school had no prohibitions against political speech at the time. In fact, Garrett allowed, I know you'll be shocked by this, Black Lives Matter posters to hang in the library and sported a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker on her car. See, that's how it always goes. You can't wear the MAGA hat. You can't have a Gadsden flag, but they can have a stupid gay pride flag anywhere. They can have the new trans flag, which they keep changing every week. They can have BLM stuff all over the place. Um, You can, not in your personal office, but in the gymnasium at your school, you can make a shrine to you and your gay marriage in the gymnasium like we have here in Michiana, and that's a-okay, but God forbid you wear a red MAGA hat, not in the classroom, but just to a teacher's retreat. Then you must be attacked. So the court ruled that uh, this Garrett lady and the other idiots here at this, this school were wrong, They're bigots, they're awful human beings, and he won his case. So, bravo. The court system actually got something right. But it is interesting, the same people who tell you that you should be able to have a rainbow flag and a BLM flag and all this other stuff inside the classroom don't want you to have a Gadsden flag, which is an actual historical flag. It is the first flag of the United States Marine Corps, by the way. And you can also not have any, you know, Republican anything. You can't have a Trump anything. Can't have any of that in the classroom. But but you can totally take down the U.S. flag and replace it with a rainbow flag. That's A-OK. Yeah, this type of insanity needs to stop. So good for the courts. They got this one right. Uh, wasn't expecting to get it right, but they did get it right. So good for this guy. And honestly, if I'm this dude, I you know if, if he gets his job back, I'm trolling the snot out of everybody. That's what he should do. Any other teacher at that school who feels the same way as him, because I can get him not wanting to go back there, but any other teacher who shares his political beliefs at that school, and there are going to be many, should probably do the same thing just to harass their coworkers and make them feel really small. we got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson. You're looking for a mechanic that you can trust? Of course you are. It's hard to find one. So usually use word of mouth, right? You start, uh, I, I get this a lot. People will call me up and they're like, hey, Casey, who's a mechanic? Okay, by people I mean Alyssa. Who's a mechanic? Because <laughs> she's always got a vehicle break now. Who's a mechanic that you trust? I always have to send her to Jason's. If you can get to Jason's, Jason's the place to go in Edwardsburg, Michigan. They're on Main Street. 
They built a great reputation, word of mouth, and they're just they're good people. And they do great work. They stand by their work. I highly recommend them, whether you're getting a routine maintenance like oil changes. We just had a vehicle get an oil change over there uh, about a week and a half ago. Or if you're you got a check engine light on, you need a diagnostic test, or if you need a major repair and you know exactly what it is, go to Jason's Automotive. JasonAutotruckRepair.com is the website that is Jason spelled with a Y. Go check them out online, JasonAutotruckRepair.com. All right, tomorrow is Insurrection Day, and I've got a list of 10 fun ways to celebrate January 6th this year. Number one, share your celebration plans with all of your friends on Parlor. Number two, gather the whole family around the TV to watch the big Macy's Jan 6th Day Parade. Number three, perform an historic reenactment of the violent, bloody battle by wandering slowly through your city hall taking photos. Number four, it's the funniest one. I can never get past that one. That one's so good. Number four, make sure to put put out Tang and cookies for Trumpy Claws. Uh, number five, hide fraudulent ballots around the house for the kids to find. And then number six, dress up like a buffalo. If you want the rest of them, they'll be in the daily show prep today at btmedia.news. Courtesy of the Babylon B. <laughs> number three just kills me. I can't, I can't. It hurts too much to laugh, but number three kills me every single time. Subscribe on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey. The host is Bill O'Reilly. We'll see you tomorrow. Bill O'Reilly here. The O'Reilly Update brought.